Hello and welcome to Sounds Like a Plan, a podcast all about how the music world is taking action in our climate crisis. If you're joining us for the first time, I'm Greg Cochran, a journalist and podcaster. And I'm Faye Milton, a musician from the band Savages and co-founder of Music Declares Emergency, which brings people together from across the music industry to fight the climate emergency. This is episode two. Thanks for pressing play and joining us. This time on the podcast, we discuss a significant week coming up in music and climate action. Ed O'Brien from Radiohead is our guest. Fresh from releasing a solo album literally titled Earth, he will be joining us to talk about his passion for environmental issues, why Radiohead have always championed green causes, and what the future holds for both big government action on climate and what he thinks the music world might be able to do next. Here's a clue, he's watching Coldplay very closely. Lots of important questions raised. Yeah, that's right. And we'll also leave you with some recommendations. So let's get into this episode of Sounds Like a Plan. Here we are, Faye. We made it to episode two of the podcast. Hooray. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we did. It's brilliant, isn't it? And uh, it was very exciting to launch last week. It was, yeah. And um, I just want to start by saying a huge thank you. The response to the launch of the podcast and the response to episode one, where we heard from you about your your, your journey in music mm. and climate was just, it was amazing. I was really, really humbled. Uh, lots of tweets and comments and emails. Thank you to all of you who listened and shared it. Please do keep doing that and do tell a friend as well. The best way to get involved, do follow us on whichever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now. And like I said, in episode one, we are on Instagram, sounds like a plan podcast. That's where you'll find us. And you can also email us on sounds like a plan podcast at gmail.com but if you are with us now for the first time do go back and check out episode one it's really where we go deep on what this podcast is and why Faye and I are doing it and where we're coming out with it from and basically the the short version of that is that we're talking to people in the music community about the climate action they're taking and hopefully this all sums up what an urgent situation we're in but also why we're feeling quite optimistic about the future um Faye apart from the launch of sounds like a plan what has been the big news happening in your world this week your world of music and climate action well 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 i'm glad you asked because there's so much going on basically we're launching a massive week of music climate action called turn up the volume because we need to turn up the volume on our voices we're all asking for urgent action on climate and governments aren't listening so it's about sort of creating a huge swell of of noise about it basically so it's going to run the 19th to the 25th of april and so much of the music industry is going to be getting on board to sort of share the message say what they're doing with their particular sort of record label companies what the sustainability goals are etc and there's some really interesting um and quite exciting and ambitious plans going on in the music industry mm-hmm. and then loads of artists but getting on board sharing the message we'll also have music throughout the week and i think one of the really exciting things is that we've got such a wide range of musicians on board we've got classical we've got metal we've got grime we've got dancehall we've got indie we've got rock we've got pop we've got just like this huge kind of enormously wide selection of musicians music industry bodies um getting on board under the a unified message basically which is no music on a dead planet that's what we're we're here to protect and we just need to uh 
Hashtag turn up the volume. <laughs> Hashtag turn up the volume. I love <laughs> yeah. it. What's the best way if people want to track what's going on and find out as that all is all happening and rolling out? What, where should people head to to find out about that? You can follow Music Declares socials. It's at Music Declares on Instagram and Twitter and Music Declares Emergency on Facebook. Yeah, just follow there and then we'll we'll be posting. Probably by the time this comes out, there'll be information there about what's happening throughout the week. So I can't divulge everything just yet, but it will be an exciting week of music and climate action. Yeah, and the aim of that, as you already mentioned, is presumably to try and just make there feel like this general feeling, this general swell of support for climate action and and so that you already said governments hear you or the government hears hears you that's about music using its powerful voice to make those in powerful positions feel like they have to do something right that's what you're trying to achieve yeah absolutely and it's it's also sort of um there's been all of this research recently through the un and also through um organization called climate outreach and it's basically the the news is that everyone wants action on climate. It's it's not just a niche. It's not just the activists. Mm. It's not just niche people. You know, people here and there. It's it's a general population are anxious, worried about this. Everyone's got the message, and everyone wants to fix it. But um, the problem is, governments are still allowing coal mines to go ahead. New coal mines to be yeah. stuff. You know, stuff like that is absurd when you've also got targets for zero emissions. So what we're trying to do particularly with all the different genres and all the different people from so many different walks of life is to sort of understand that this is this is everybody asking for this now and, and just amplify that that idea that this isn't just a niche group of people wanting change this is everybody yeah yeah and it does feel like things are generally cranking up doesn't it on on, on the sort of climate front in in episode mm. one we talked a little bit about how the pandemic caused a bit of a pause moment it stopped people getting together physically obviously and uh, i mean yeah the world didn't stop but the world took a short break in in a, in a, in a way in a sort of sense yeah. um and in 2019 was such an enormous year for the momentum of climate action globally across the world mm. led by greta thunberg for example does it feel like we're sort of creeping back to a place where that momentum is building up again do you think yeah i think so in in a way it I mean, it obviously it was stopped for a bit because everyone was panicking and freaking out, and myself included, about the pandemic. And now the pandemic's just got, you know, immensely boring alongside being really sad as well, with lives mm. lost. But um, there's a great amount of momentum at the moment building around climate. One of the things is that we've got COP26, which is the UN climate negotiations happening in Glasgow in November. Uh, it's on home turf, people. Let's make mm -hmm. this a good one it's actually a really really important sort of set of negotiations the most important one since the paris cop mm -hmm. so it's it's really kind of make or break really on, on the climate and ecological crisis so yeah leading up to that there's just going to be so much action so many people just trying to make this this thing successful and really just trying to make governments listen to everyday people and say look we need to take action yeah in the short term as well, we've got Earth Day happening on the 22nd of April. Mm. So it, it's kind of like if you're listening to this thinking, yeah, I have seen more like TV trailers for documentaries about climate change and climate action, or I have seen more articles appearing. You're, you're not imagining it. it is, April is a big month for um, mm. climate action, all hooked around some of that. There's going to be some enormous announcements coming um, this month as well, some of which I'm, we'll, we'll, we'll be looking forward to talking about in the podcast but um yeah i think i think this does feel like a really meaningful moment in a very 
important year basically so yeah we're, we're on the cusp of something really really um, momentous hopefully <laughs> yeah it's it's <laughs> funny you say important year because it it's that thing we all heard that thing of like it's it's 12 years left and then it's like 11 years left now it's 10 years left and it's I keep saying in my sort of communications with people emails and such like I'm like there's never been a better time to talk about climate it just feels like I'm gonna have to start putting it in caps lock yeah. and like bold and like really large font the closer and closer it gets to yeah um, we need we need like a apocalypse. countdown timer just to appear on all of our phones and laptops don't we <laughs> yeah yeah god that would be so intense <laughs> yeah this much longer until climate and ecological meltdown <laughs> yeah welcome welcome to the inner workings of my psyche it's there the countdown timer <laughs> ticking <Yeah>. away <laughs> um shall we introduce this week's guest Faye? yes that sounds like a plan excellent uh, ed o'brien founding member and guitarist in a little known band called radiohead um not just an amazing musician and songwriter but a student of economics a long-term activist on all sorts of issues but he's particularly passionate about climate and the future of our planet um he and his band have a really rich history of promoting green causes um long before many others although um as you'll hear he doesn't really want to take credit for it um and they've also written about it in their creative output and they've always taken meaningful and tangible action. But um, Faye, when did you first cross paths with Ed and did your minds immediately meet on issues of climate? <laughs> well, I met him behind the park stage at Glastonbury where there's like a little sort of artist area. And mm -hmm. I don't know if we immediately had minds meeting on climate, but we instantly hit it off. We just had like an amazing chat. I think it was like three in the morning. And um, yeah, I think we were, I was telling him about Music Declares Emergency and yeah, what a wonderful, wonderful human being. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, but yeah, so I suppose we should get into it. Um, let's hear from our guest. It was a real privilege for Faye and I to record this with Ed a little while back. This is Ed O'Brien from Radiohead on Sounds Like a Plan. Ed, thank you for joining us on Sounds Like a Plan. On this podcast, we are going to be speaking to people from across the music world who have an interest of all kinds in climate action and sustainability. And we're doing it because it feels like there's more momentum in the movement right now than there has been pretty much at any point before. Um, but this stuff isn't new to you, obviously. You've had an active interest in environmental issues and action for, for quite a few years. So I was interested to know both individually and with Radiohead tell us a little bit about the history of that and your interest and how it grew and um, and why it's important to you. The interest I guess it starts off the seeds are planted when you're a kid you know and I was just saying that I grew up in the countryside so a lot of the things that were very normal and run-of-the-mill for me animal life wildlife simplicity they were all in abundance when I was growing up and I also had a hippie aunt who was, she was, she's part of Greenpeace. So she would always send me stuff. My grandfather was one of the founding members of the Soil Association. He would, both my grandparents were osteopaths and my grandfather was a great fisherman and was very, very disturbed by the introduction. I remember in the sixties, he would talk about it of, of, you know, chemicals in agriculture and he could see, see, see the runoff and he loved fly fishing all over Britain. So I was always sort of aware of it. And then I think, you know, you sort of, I went to university and started the band and that becomes your focus. I don't know what, I think it was around the start of the millennium. 
Tom and I would always talk about a lot of the stuff we talk about politics and activism and stuff like that. And he got, I think when he did the eraser in 2003, he got heavily involved with Greenpeace and became friendly with Tony Juniper and the Friends of the Earth lot. And it's sort of, I guess, the activist side of it or, or, or trying to help as we could as a band and as individuals sort of started then when you, we really realized that all the science was saying 15, 20 years ago that we were, we, were, we were heading to exactly the kind of places that scientists are saying now. It was just 20 years ago. That then meant we started turning a mirror upon what we did as individuals, but particularly collectively as a band. So typically as a band, we're, you know, the start of the millennium, we're selling CDs and we're doing a lot of touring. And the touring was something we sort of realized going, well, hang on a sec, our carbon footprint is really quite big. So what we did in 2000, I think it was 2006, we did an ecological audit of our touring practices because we were trying to figure out a way of going back out on the road. And by that stage, we were playing to a lot of people each night, but trying to do it in a way that felt responsible. And we thought that, what would happen was it may be that touring would be reduced to us playing five nights in the capitals around the world, and that would be the way of doing. So this audit was done. And what came back, which was, it was brilliant, was actually the footprint, the carbon footprint of people coming to the gigs. And now we're talking a lot of people, so it could be from sort of 15,000 to 30,000 people each night, was greater than the band's carbon footprint. Mm. So the implications of that were and are that meant it was worse for us to be in one place and people would fly in and, and take planes. So what we had to do is we had to find places to play that had good public transport. And that's fine in places like Europe because Europe is, it's pretty easy, but most of our touring was in America. And, you know, America's built on the motor car. Public transport isn't great. And also... We'd opted along the way as we we tried to get out of the normal places of playing life, i.e. the arenas and the small stadiums and all of that, because they were just run of the mill. So we we play more unusual places and we also play these places called sheds. And sheds were on the outside and the countryside, glorious places to play, but 20,000 people arriving all by car. What that basically meant that the that we had to play in America in places that had good public transport hubs, playing in the city. And it, it essentially led back to playing arenas and all these places because a lot of sports are played at these places. And so they tend to have good, good transport. And that sort of laid the way for how we conducted ourselves as a band, like the, the touring thing. And if you think of the CDs, the CDs have sort of fallen by. We became aware of the packaging, so trying to do the packaging responsibly. And, you know, we were lucky because we were partnering with people at the time who, you know, working with a, an independent like Excel, they were aware of these things. And I guess we sort of woke up to it about, you know, 13, 14 years ago and have struggled with it, to be honest. I mean, you know, the last load of touring, I definitely got a sense of like, this feels like the last time we do it in this way. How we move mm. forward, I don't know. But it, it was kind of, and, and Faye, you might, have this thing as a musician because you know mm. the gig is a glorious thing isn't it 
it's a beautiful ceremony. And I think what we do with music, what musicians do with the audience, it's an uplifting of the soul, which I think in the, in the scheme of things is actually really important. We need mm. that as human beings. Yeah. But you've got this terrible other side of it. It's just like, well, God, you know, the, the, the amount of energy to get to this place, the yeah. amount of buses, the amount of trucks, all the people arriving, you've mm. got, you, you don't want to feel guilty stepping out on stage, do you? So there has been this, how do we find a way forward doing it? So we, we, we haven't found it, but we, we've, we've, mm -hmm. we, we've been asking a lot of questions and trying to figure it out and, and feeling a lot of guilt along the way. You're so right with saying it's such an important thing, especially when times are quite tough, like they have been over the last couple of years. It's just pulling each other up. And it's not just the band, it's like the audience lifting the band, the audience lifting each other, just the general kind of swell of excitement and joy. And even, you know, it can be heavy, angry music and a swell of kind of passion in different ways. But that is vital. And so that has to be the sort of, we're sticking with that, that's not gonna change but how it's done and all of that stuff around it. There's so much research that needs to be done. There's so much um, kind of, as you said, you started by measuring what was happening. And I think that's such an important thing to do because it's very easy to presume. And in from what I've been doing, talking about music and climate change over the last few years, it's the first thing people go to is to say, well, what about musicians flying places? And then the number of times I've quoted basically your study saying, actually, it's the audience footprint, which is more, it's the whole system that is in question here. It's not one artist practice. It's not the, the details, really. It's the kind of those big sort of systemic things that will help change, you know, people's greater infrastructure with public transport, et cetera, et cetera. And Ed, you, I mean, you mentioned it there. You, you would have been a amongst the first in terms of artists that were being proactive and looking into this stuff. Was it 2006, you just said? I don't think we were one of the first. I think we may be one of the first big artists, but I think there are a lot of musicians and people on the who maybe haven't had our commercial success who, you know, playing the free festival circuit, who are well more educated than us on this. I mean, saying this for years. I mean, my aunt and her friends would have been saying this in the 70s. I think what radio did in terms of music and in terms of, our philosophy is that we are, we've always sort of been outsiders a bit on the edge and we just bring it into the mainstream in a way. I think that's what, we, that's what we've always done and I think that's what we do. I don't think we're ever pioneers. We're just always being influenced by the people on the front line, if you like. I mean, we're, we're now 15 years down the line from that. I mean, it does feel like there are a lot more people in the music world expressing the sort of things that you've just mentioned you make the point there still isn't necessarily a solution for that how do you feel about the increased amount of dialogue and conversation and people looking for a solution people going out there getting data like you did people trying to be proactive to say you know we're, we're going to try and put on a, a festival with a lower carbon footprint we're going to try and find ways around um, a lot of those difficulties thrown up by the touring issues uh, we're going to look at the manufacturing processes around our physical product of what we put out so so do you do you feel like there is a, a momentum a sort of um yeah tell me a little bit about how you feel right now i feel there's more momentum in this globally or at least because I, I don't know we're in a bubble here in Britain or whatever but it feels like from that first Extinction Rebellion or the first major one in April was it two years ago it feels like there has been a shift it happens obviously quicker in the music industry when Chris Martin goes comes out and says Coldplay aren't going to tour until we find a place a way to do it 
sustainably. That's brilliant. And he did that quite, I think he did that quite soon after the first XR event. But I actually, and I want to put this out to you, I actually feel like it makes a difference having a different president in the White House. Mm. But I feel like what's happened with the pandemic and also with but the bushfires and everything that's happened, all the wildfires in California, I think the political leaders of the world are finally, truly, or most of them, are actually waking up to it and realizing it's not like this some, something we create. It's like the, pa- the pandemic has kind of stripped away a lot of the, the bullshit in many ways. That's maybe me being a bit naive and a bit hopeful, but I'm not trying to be. I just feel there is a shift going on. And, and finally, it seems to be getting through. I'll tell you what's interesting. I think what's, what's happened in the pandemic is if you think about what happened before the kind of the philosophy before COVID, the world was very much a market-led place, i.e., you know, the politics of the last 40 years has said the market decides, the market's always the winner, it always, it always reacts quickest, it always knows best. Well, we know, the pandemic's shown that up to be bullshit, and, mm. and politicians know that. So I think politicians are now realising that actually we're saying goodbye to, the, to a philosophy of the last 40 years, and it needs to be led on a governmental level and organize a lot of organization. And I think, you know, there's been a reticence to do that for whatever reason. Maybe they didn't, you know, want to threaten big business, but now it's kind of saying, actually, if we're going to sort this mess out, this has to come from the politicians and they have to lead it with the people. And I'm hopeful because I just get a sense of that. If, you know, apparently Boris Johnson's girlfriend, Carrie Simon, she's a, she's a sustainability sympathizer and empathizer. So she's going banging on to him about it. And I, you know, obviously got huge issues with, I was saying to someone the other day, I said, what, what musicians ever support the Tory party? But <laughs> there are some signs. There are a few signs. Obviously, you know, we're going to, there are not signs. But I just feel, obviously a lot needs to happen, but it feels like there's an awakening happen. One of the things I feel about that sort of partisan looking at things of, oh, I'm, as a musician, I'm probably not the most likely person to be a Tory voter, for example. But with the time limits that we have as they are and the speed that we need to act on climate, it feels like we can't even afford to wait until there's another government. This government has to act. And that means it kind of means not demonizing them. We have to... I don't know, as a left-leaning person, you have to kind of question your own belief system and question what you think is possible and what you can believe that people who don't necessarily have the same fundamental views as you can do on this problem that affects everybody because it does affect everybody. And there's certain things that also... I feel like the financial sector is actually very slow on the uptake on this. And it's interesting that Mark Carney, the former head of the Bank of England, is a huge sort of climate activist now. And he's Boris Johnson's financial advisor. So not his personal financial advisor. (laughs) (laughs) On the high street bank. (laughs) I mean, anyway, he's one of his very important advisors in um, economics. I think they felt that pre the pandemic, that this stuff happens to other people. It happens to poorer countries. Mm. And they're not so concerned about it. The thing about the pandemic that's revealed is we are all in this together. Mm. And they've, they're waking up to that. And you've got people like Mark Carney who are saying, we have to sort this out. Mm. This is not something that, you know, we can leave to the markets. You know, this is something that has mm. to be 
and I, I, I agree with you totally. I, I think it's, I think they realize that they have to do something about it. And Biden certainly does. We've never mm. had this before. We I've never seen this kind of, okay, it's not dramatic, but we've ne- we'll see what happens in Glasgow at the end of the year. Mm. Something has shifted. I feel there's something shifted. It's, it, uh, and they ha- this is an opportunity. Public opinion has changed. And it's reaching this critical mass now where politicians have to act because what they want ultimately is to stay in power. And in order to stay in power, they have to please the masses and the masses are actually at that tipping point where everyone wants action on climate. It's, in fact, there was a, a headline recently saying two-thirds of the nation want action on climate with this big front cover about green climate action, green jobs, all of this stuff. This is not a niche issue anymore. And there's so many things that have led to that. And it's bands like your, your, Radiohead and yourself speaking out on climate. Greta, it's Extinction Rebellion, it's David Attenborough. It's all of these people who've been chipping away and chipping away that it's starting to, that tide is turning, I think. I think you're right. And it's interesting. I saw that at the, the, the front page of the Express. It's green, isn't it? Mm. That's extraordinary. The heart of Middle England. You can feel it. Whereas two years ago, Though it felt very different. It was like, thank God for the, thank God for XR. Thank God for this, because this country needs to wake up. It, and it's, mm. you know, it's, it's going along in a kind of um, a, a material shopping haze. You know, oh, we'll mm. carry on shopping. We'll, we'll shop till we drop sort of thing. Mm. The pandemic has added to that sense of urgency. And of course, the pandemic as well is, you know, is linked to climate change as well. You know, it's not not too arbitrary to say that, you know, like Ebola, like these viruses that emerge from wild places and there are less wild places in the world because we're going in there and tearing them down and all the viruses that are being released, the viruses, I read a report, the viruses that are being released down in, that have been buried for thousands of years in the Arctic and the Antarctic and, and with the melting that these that's, are that's so, the stuff that's so apocalyptic that I can't even deal with it's so mad it's mad <laughs> and I read this from a, I read this back at the beginning of the, the back of the lockdown the first one and it was from a, a financial report it was a it was a French scientist the reason these viruses are jumping into human beings is because you know we're fucking with nature don't fuck with nature don't fuck with nature <laughs> Don't the fuck with nature. Nature fuck with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ed, we, we've talked a bit before about uh, interconnective, uh, well, humanity and nature and, and, and how everything's joined. I mean, you just expressed it there. You just said, you know, everything in our kind of natural ecosystems is linked. So I was interested to know, like before now, we've talked a bit about how your, your own well-being and, that and, and how you feel about yourself and your family is connected to the health of communities and then ultimately the planet i mean you literally made a solo record called earth so i I was interested to know if you could tell us a little bit more about your the relationship between what you see going on in climate action and the health of the planet and what's happening in your brain and how you feel day to day and how those two things are linked it's interesting um and I, i can be honest about this i've suffered from depression on and off in my life and the cause of my depression is not climate change and it's not the climate. It's not what's happening because th- that's other stuff. But I'm, I've always been aware that when I've gone down the overwhelming nature, and I think 
I can I've talked to I've talked to my daughter about this actually because she's reached a point she's she was so sort of empowered by Greta Thunberg and she's so Una my daughter is 15 but she's holding on there now because she she doesn't want to watch any more scary films about the planet because what's that term that people are using eco anxiety yeah mm. And I'm not going to say that my depression, but there have definitely been times in my life uh, recently where you, you just feel overwhelmed by it. And so there's that, but the, I'm not going to, but, but the, the route out of it, out of the, that, those kind of dark holes is not, it's inner work. It's not outer work. I mean, all these things, it's, you know, I understand it's inner work, but I guess all the inner work that I've done on the last I guess 20 years because that's when I started meditation mm. all these things I've become and a lot of reading what's so interesting is that you're usually going and learning from a lot of old knowledge things that people have known for thousands of years but where you always get back to is everything is connected you know when you get into Buddhism when you get into the Christian mystics, the Sufis, the Nazarenes, the, the, the Jewish mystics, uh, Hinduism, we are all one and we are all connected. And I'm so aware of the fact that none of us are happy unless everybody's happy. And I think that's such a truism. And I'm, I'm a very fortunate person. I've got a very comfortable life in terms of I don't have to worry about money. And I know a lot of wealthy people and and I've spoken to people about this, you know, and a lot of them, interestingly, not a lot of them are really unhappy. You can't cut yourself off. You might think you can. You might live in a gated community. You might try and do all this stuff. But none of us, none of us are islands. We are all interconnected, whether it's living in a city like London, the energy, all that stuff. And you can feel it. You can feel these things. And some of us feel it more sensitively than others. But that doesn't mean that it's not going into everybody. Crises make you wake up and realize how, how interconnected the world is and how we all are. Mm. And it's no longer because when you're in a time of boom and everybody's shopping and everybody's borrowing and everybody's happy and everybody's dancing and everybody's mm. drinking, you know, you don't need that stuff. But when the shit hits the fan, the reality comes to the surface and we are all connected. Mm. And I wonder, I wonder if old Bojo might even be saying to Carrie late at night, you know, I think maybe we are all connected. <laughs> <laughs> that's an uncanny impression Ed well maybe it... <laughs> you just created a really strange image in my mind but thank you for that I, I actually had other thoughts in my mind but I'm not going to go there because it's not <laughs> for a podcast I was say maybe after they made love or something he's like oh, wow. feeling the weight of the world lifted off maybe we are all connected <laughs> yeah anyway so do you know thank you for that yeah sorry um <laughs> I think we know that. I mean, Faye, you know that, don't you? Mm. Greg, yeah. you know that, right? It's yeah, not hippie it's, bollocks. It's not hippie bollocks. I mean, that's, that's, it's almost embarrassing that there's so many um, Westerners getting into Buddhism, which is brilliant. And I, I've been practicing Buddhism for, for a bit. Um, and it's all there. It's all been there for 2,500 years, written down, just saying simplicity, interconnectedness. How does the time of that work? How does... 2,600 years pass and we're still picking up information from something that's written there even though it feels like 
a completely irrelevant time to us. It, are there, is there information passing at completely different rates? Like some information passes so slowly that we're only just getting there in the West, for example. Maybe there are these cycles that happen and maybe mm. we have to get to an extreme like we have. I mean, everybody now, you know, two thirds of Daily Express re readers realize that the way that we're living is unsustainable. So mm. we've got to that point. We've got to an extreme and, and maybe that's how humanity rolls and that's how we that's what happens. And we have these cycles. It's like any kind of film, you know, where it's like there's always that rush. If it's a rom-com, it's, you know, it's someone running through the streets to find their love. Or if it's a, an action film, there's always like the big final battle scene. But it feels a bit like that. We're just coming to this point and this generation is coming through with so much, you know, so much understanding of the world that is it's almost floors me every time I speak to a young person these days. And young people these days. But um, it's... Is it happening too late or is it, are we just about to get there in time? It does feel like this last 10 years of being able to save things. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how we move forward, you know, as musicians. And I've got mm. no idea. I mean, I don't know how you do it, but I've got no idea once the freedom of movement happens again, how do we start up again? How do we do this? Mm. Because... I mean, I'm not sure whether, you know, just on the side with the vac or with the COVID, I'm not sure until this is treated globally that mm. we're not going to be able to move freely because there will be different variants popping up. Unless, so, yeah, I, I, in a funny kind of way, I'm not even, I'm not even thinking as a musician. I'm about about how I can go back out on the road or or even hoping, you know, because I don't want to have it. I obviously want to. Mm. But also, I want to do it properly. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I, but I don't know what proper is at the moment. I know what I thought it was a year ago, but maybe that's not appropriate now. Mm. It still feels like a giant unknown, doesn't it? The, the next the next couple of years, realistically. I want to um, see what Coldplay do. <laughs> I think we're all waiting to see what Coldplay are going to yeah, do. Chris, Chris and those boys, they've got, they've got the, the huge financial resources to really, you know, they, they, can, they can probably team up with Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah. Probably, yeah. Yeah, they can well, get in that big that big van that he made and tour in that. That's what I'm excited. I just wanna I just wanna ride on Chris's coattails. Yeah. That's great. They really they really threw down the gauntlet with that, didn't they? But that's good. I love it. I, I love it. I think it's great. It's you know, if you can if you can afford to do that then do it. Yeah. Definitely. Ed, can I ask a little bit about bringing the subject into your art and what you create? So your, your passion for, for the subject. I mean, obviously, throughout the sort of career of Radiohead, Tom's written quite explicitly about like ecological collapse um, in Radiohead songs and, and his own sort of solo work. Like I already mentioned, you had your, your, your solo album um, not too long ago that was called Earth. And, and it's a subject that, that you've kind of um, approached as well. So how do you feel about bringing your passion for the subject into the art that you create is it is that a completely natural thing do you have to think about that do you have to second guess that um or is it just a, a, another subject that you like to write about that's that's on your mind in that moment when you're writing a song i think it's it's deep within and i think it's i mean i think how you feel about nature and how you feel about the world in many ways i mean i think tom's done it very well like on on idiotech you know but it's a, it's a, it's, it's quite a dramatic. It's quite um, a doomsday scenario, if you like. 
I don't have, that's not my impulse. And I think way for me, it works. It, 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 it's, it's in me. It's how I feel about the world. There's a, the spiritual experiences that I've had in nature. It's the, it's the way I, you know, the connectedness. So it's never anything, you know, I'm not a good enough poet to actually put it into words, but I'll put it into the sound and the music and the feeling. And what I'm always trying to do when I'm trying to, when I try to write music, it comes from a feeling and that feeling can be, so on earth, for instance, I wrote a lot of it was in, was, it was basically written in the countryside, both records. One part of it was written in, or, or the inspiration came from living in Brazil on the edge of the uh, Mach Atlantica, which is the old rainforest there. And then the other part of it was being here in mid Wales. And it was a feeling that I had that of sometimes when you're in these places and the Celts have this beautiful word for it, they call them the thin places. And it's a Celtic, and someone told me about this in, in Ireland, there are these places in the world that you go when you feel spirit very strongly, mm. you know, and they call these places the thin places. It's where the mm. veil is thin. And I really, really believe that. I'm very, very sensitive. I mean, I, you know, the, so I, I resonate with, you know, this area in Brazil. I always love the Southwestern America. I always feel like I'm heightened or... But lots of places actually on the American continent when you're in wild nature, and I feel it very strongly in in mid Wales. So it's a feeling. It's like inspiration. It's kind of it's uh, it, and it can be it can be joyful, but it can also be really heavy because these these places usually have light and dark, and they've been dark things. So you're drawn. So it comes into the music, but I'm I, it's not. I'm not. I definitely. If I look through my notebooks now in the last year there are a lot of metaphors from nature, but I don't know quite how that works. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make that, I'm, I'm a novice to this, but what I have done for years is sound and with Radiohead. And so, you know, part of like when I've created sounds often when I've been inspired, it's often been actually been a place in nature. It's been drawing upon a feeling that I've had. I felt like truly connected to the world or I read uh, Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman and it's an incredible, incredible text. And I read that in mid Wales and what Whitman was writing about. And similarly as William Blake, you're in these places and you feel inspired. You feel like you feel a connection with the divine. That's, that's what I'm kind of chasing. It's almost like, you know, doing 10 E's, not that I've done 10 E's, but it's that kind of doing ease for a lot of people. It's a, it's a kind of a form. It's a form of connection. It's a form of mm. divine connection. And we all kind of, I think we're all kind of chasing that in a way. And that's what I try to bring in the music. And I know that sounds really grand. Uh, and most of the time I, you know, I can't do it, but that's what I'm seeking to bring that. And, and you know, for me, nature is, is, is the divine. So it's the easiest place to, to access, you know, God as in, in with a small G or big G, not the big mm. guy with the big beard, but nature is my god you know mm. this is this is this is when i feel most connected to spirit and i feel alive and happy you said it it sounds very grand but i think that that connection to spirit or god or whatever you want to say the universe can can exist on a tiny scale in nature as well and that's sometimes where i i spot it the most when you see these tiny little 
lichens or mosses or and stuff in the forest and or tiny little flowers and things like that it can be this huge expanse but it can be something very humble as well i think yeah and it can be the squirrel in the back garden in 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 london mm. you know with its little young it's really hard a lot of the time for in modern life because we're distracted by so many things and a lot of people are so full of fear and we're so full of anxiety and you know and it, it you know all this stuff kind of gets in the way and I'm no different from other people but I find if you can truly be in nature and, and that's what I found that's what I discovered when we went to live in Brazil and we were there for six months was suddenly being in nature for the first time since I was a kid and after about two weeks you're sort of fully present and you're going, you can really see it and really feel it. The problem is, I think, with modern living and uh, certainly a lot in the cities, a lot of the time we have to build up these kind of, these, this armour. It's like protection we build up. Mm. And sometimes those protections stop us from really engaging in the world around us. But I, mean, I can't speak for everyone, but I certainly feel like, I, you know, I have to build up a, this, this shield. Sometimes. And I'm trying to... And that, and actually, that comes from childhood. So I'm, I'm trying to undo it bolt by bolt. Mm. What you were saying as well about the thin, the thin places. I love that concept. It's such a beautiful idea, and almost kind of links back to what you were saying earlier about when you're at a gig or a show, and it's that sort of that creation of that energy. Maybe it's almost art creating a thin place. Yeah, well, I think, I think, listen, I think one of the things about Glastonbury is, I mean, I think it's like the perfect storm. There mm. are so many things that make it the greatest music and kind of experience of a weekend. But one of the big things is that area, that land. You know, mm. the fact that we're, you know, the fact that we're dancing outside or whatever, you know, in that land. And, and people have been doing this for thousands of years, probably mm. in that place as well. Glastonbury is a very significant place, isn't it? So... Who knows what's going on there? We, I mean, I don't think, I don't th maybe there's, a, there's somebody around in the stone circle who knows exactly what's going on. <laughs> but I, mean, I think I've been that person. Yeah, so do I. I think we've all been that person. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ed, I've got, I've got one more question for you. We've talked a lot about um, the unknown on this podcast and like obviously we've just gone through the pandemic and what it's done is thrown up an awful lot of questions about an awful lot of things. And I'm not asking you to predict the, the future because we you know none of us have any answers, but in terms of music, in terms of climate action, in terms of the shape of how things are going to be in, say, the next three to five years, are, are you sort of broadly hopeful of the way that all these pieces might land? We've gone through a period where people have experimented with live stream gigs and the virtual reality and all these new forms of expression. It's going to be a new way that emerges from all of this. So you can either feel down about the fact that we might not be going back to how things used to be, or you can feel optimistic about how we're going to be going somewhere different. So how do you feel? I'm always optimistic about, I don't think we're going back to how we used to be. And I'm, I, I actually, in a funny kind of way, I don't, not in a funny, I don't want to go back to how we used to be because it's all part of the same thing. I'm optimistic. I think human beings are incredibly resilient. I think it's going to get a lot tougher climate wise with, 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 with the planet. I think they're going to, we, we're going to have to, it's only going to get worse for the time being, but I think that we are resilient and I think we will find a way. I think we, we always do. And I'm optimistic about that. Definitely. But we, we aren't going back to what we had and I'm really glad we're not going back to what we had, but we will find a way of connecting properly because music is connection, isn't it? And being together and we, we will, we will find a way of doing that. 
so happy to welcome Ed onto our podcast. Um, thank you again to Ed for, for joining us. Faye, what did you make of that conversation? Well, I'm never going to forget that Boris Johnson impression. That is with me forever. <laughs> I know, it's so unexpected. It just popped out, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Very quite good, quite well. good though. Yeah, it quite was quite good. good. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, it was just really interesting hearing from him about the health of the planet and your own mental well-being, your own mental health, mm. your own physical health. It's such a huge connection that it's I think as a species we've been overlooking for a couple of hundred years and then we're all just freaking out and need to get into nature and and it's really nice to sort of have a really nice conversation about that it was great to hear his thoughts on it yeah definitely a really like hard relate to that i'd noted that down from the conversation as well it's been quite a rough time for many of us over the past few years i think like this sort of feeling of exasperation at knowing the climate facts so seeing the, mm. knowing the facts and seeing the lack of action is is really anxiety inducing and and especially when you see stagnation from governments and big businesses and and that can lead to in your own brain a real general absence of hope which is not good for any mm. of us is it like you you lose hope in your in your fellow human um but i think it was lovely to hear Ed talk about how he is feeling more optimistic on that front and also mm. being really honest about his own mental health I, I, I'm really grateful for him for talking about that because it's not for everyone but that, that was yeah. that was lovely to hear I think um, a really big takeaway for me as well from from hearing that conversation with him was something you mentioned in episode one which was that we've all got so many questions even if you're a member of Radiohead you've got lots of <laughs> questions when it comes to climate action and, and music mm. and what we can do and I think it was it was great to hear him say that Radiohead credit others when it comes to the things that they've done but they also look to their colleagues in the music industry to see what they're doing he mentioned Chris mm. Martin Chris Martin's name's yeah. just gonna come up in every episode of Sounds Like a Plan I'm sure <laughs> until he actually comes on um but it's true isn't it you know w when somebody makes a statement and says we're going to go away and we're going to learn about this it sort of picks up the attention of other people and sort of and, and they're like what have you learned because mm. it's all about knowledge sharing isn't it when none of us have the 100% complete set of answers and so it's really a roundabout way of saying like what you're doing with Music Declares Emergency is really important because that's exactly mm. what you're doing is create, creating a network so that people can talk to each other people can learn from each yeah. other but really really interesting to hear it come from from somebody like Ed who, who is part of such a massive influential band mm. I suppose my final thoughts on it were as well that what what a genuine and empathetic and well-meaning guy Ed O'Brien is. Yeah, just lovely, lovely human being, lovely human being. Such a pleasure talking to him. Yeah, and it was nice to kind of end that um, hearing him say that Radiohead are still very much thinking about um, what they can do to be kind of kinder to the environment in terms of the production of the products that they sell and, and, the, mm. and, the, and their touring and everything else. Still very like much front and center of, of what they do and i look forward to see what happens with them in the future because they have always been a really important part of this and credit to them for that basically yeah absolutely and looking forward to hearing ed o'brien's album live because i'm sure he's touring soon with that too definitely definitely um Right, before we go Faye, i would like to leave you our listeners with some quick recommendations um each time we want to share something we might have been reading or watching or listening to that we want you to uh, enjoy too or maybe we've got something out of it and we just we just want to, want to share maybe it's a campaign or a piece of media but anyway uh, Faye have you got something that you want to share 
I do actually. It's it's actually a campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, Surfers Against Sewage have just launched a campaign called the Million Mile Clean. What they're trying to do is get a hundred thousand volunteers committing to cleaning ten miles of either beach or parkland or sort of some green space, blue or green space, they're calling it, um, throughout 2021. So it's basically just like a massive litter pick. (laughs) (laughs) Surfers Against Sewage are so cool. They've sort of somehow managed to get this into a... a, They made it sound exciting. And I think partly it's because we've all been stuck in our flats and rooms and boxes for however long. But it actually sounds like such a fun thing to get involved with, to head down to the local beach or to the local green space and do your 10 miles of cleaning with your friends or with local community. So, um, yeah, Surfers Against Sewage, they're um, on on the socials under that name. And, yeah, check that out. Million Mile Clean. Brilliant. I'm going to go and have a look at that. Um, I'd like to shout out something which is called It's Freezing in LA. It's a UK-based independent print magazine all about climate change. And I discovered it last year and subscribed. And um, it's printed twice a year and it just contains some of the most amazing reporting on climate that I've read. Um, it's all about science and, and activism as well. Really accessible though, a beautifully designed zine, um, amazing illustrations in there. So when it turns out, when it comes through the letterbox, you're just like, this is something really special. Um, if you head to itsfreezinginla.co.uk, they also put stuff on their website. Um, you can find their magazine there and they're on Instagram as well at it's freezing in LA. That's where you'll find them on there. Um, do check out their work. They're absolutely brilliant. Just finally, we, we hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Sounds Like a Plan. A big thank you to you, Faye, and a big thank you to Ed O'Brien, who's our guest this time. We love to hear what you think about the podcast. Do get in touch with us. Do let us know. And um, until next time, thanks very much for listening. Cheers for streaming this episode of Sounds Like a Plan. It was edited by Emma Snook. The co-production and artwork is by Stuart Stubbs and music by lightandthunder.com. The podcast is a new allotment production and there's more about them at newallotment.com. But until next time, thank you for listening.